You're listening to The Seasoned Migrant, a show about culture, migration, and ideas, and how these have shaped our understanding of the world. I'm Leonard Vaut. And I'm Yusuf Amanullah. And on this episode, we'll be talking about Bollywood and the diaspora, portrayals and receptions of the homeland. So we're talking about Indian cinema and Bollywood. Initially, we wanted to do this idea of of connecting melodrama as a cultural form in the global south. As we mentioned in the telenovelas episode, we noticed how actually there were a lot of similar features between, say, soap operas in Pakistan and and Peru. And we thought it would it would be quite cool to to look at those. But actually, once we started researching, there was so much to say about Latin American telenovelas by themselves and and South Asian TV and film by themselves that we thought actually. Why not just do an episode each? So here we are talking about Bollywood, Indian cinema, national identity, and and more. Right. And then when we were planning this episode, we were going to structure it the way that we normally do. So we talk a little bit about the topic before uh, we bring in an interview guest who gives their insights. But then when we were starting our conversation with Rini Mehta, we realized that honestly, whatever we could say would not do her expertise and her knowledge of Bollywood and the diaspora justice. And so as we started talking, we kept talking and we kept talking and we were able to fill this episode with such amazing conversation. And so that's what we have for you today. We're here with Rini Mehta, who's an assistant professor at the University of Illinois. She researches Indian cinema, especially the themes of nationalism and globalization. And with us today, she'll be discussing the origins of Indian cinema and how screens have portrayed the idea of India as a nation and what it's meant for the diaspora and for Indians living abroad. So Rini, thank you for coming onto our show. We'd like to start off by talking about this important distinction that we have between Indian cinema and Bollywood. So would you be able to take us through the origins of cinema in India and how it's evolved? Yes, of course. Uh, In the 21st century, Bollywood has become almost a synecdoche for Indian cinema. But um, Indian cinema uh, was born around 1900, uh, I would say, around 1898 that people in India who were subjects, uh, who were colonial subjects of the British Empire, they started importing cameras and uh, making movies. Uh, They were extremely enthused 
by this new art form of cinema. When in 1896, uh, India had its first Lumiere cinematograph show and uh, in Bombay. And that was sometime in July in Bombay. And uh, the building, which was called Watson's Hotel, the building still stands today. So uh, Indian cinema was born in 1898, around 1900. Feature films began to be made. But uh, the exact record of how many films were produced every year, uh, we have only from 1920 onwards, because that's the time that the British government uh, established the censor boards. So we have record of uh, how many films passed through the censor board. And um, uh, struggle that Indian cinema went through in the 1920s was mainly due to, of course, the absolute lack of uh, resources and the lack of encouragement from the government and the Hollywood imports. You know, Hollywood was king. It um, completely captured the world market from the hands of the Europeans after the First World War. So it was French and Italian cinema and other European cinemas which kind of ruled the roost uh, in the 1900s and the 1910s. But uh, during the First World War, Europe took a huge hit. And so American cinema kind of moved in to fill that uh, vacuum. And so this is the reason why in 1920s, uh, Hollywood became uh, pretty much uh, the cinema that everyone wanted to watch and everyone was watching. Coming back to Indian cinema, it was struggling because of this. And, but uh, in 1931, uh, Indian studios started producing sound films, so which had an enormous impact and uh, that uh, which precipitated in a huge shift in the market for Indian cinema. So in 1931, a dozen Indian films came out, uh, which were in three or four Indian languages. I'm saying three or four because some of the films were in two languages. They were films which were made in Tamil, but the songs were in Telugu. And um, by the middle of the 1930s, the market for Indian cinema, which is Indian talkies, Indian sound cinema, had grown so much that uh, the... Hollywood imports, it kind of went down from 80% of the market to close to 50%. Then came the Second World War, which was uh, particularly disastrous for uh, British India, uh, much more than it was for Britain, because uh, as part of the empire, the Indian economy and the Indian society, they had to participate in the Second World War. Uh, pretty much uh, by default because they were just signed up. The, the British Indian Army uh, had to fight on the side of the Allies. Many hundreds of, of thousands of Indians died fighting in both the world wars. And uh, another disaster for uh, British India was that British India, um, which had always um, had resources extracted from it to feed the uh, colonial center, which is uh, Britain, during the Second World War, uh, there was this huge draining of resources out of British India into uh, Europe to feed the army that was uh, fighting the Nazis. And so uh, the Indian society and the Indian economy in, the, in, in British India, there was this sudden disappearance of food grain. There was this sudden disappearance of essential uh, food material, the essential other resources such as iron ore, anything that uh, were necessary for the uh, functioning of uh, 
any of the uh, ground level industries. And uh, in order to uh, fill in that gap, because there was this huge upheaval, a black market uh, grew in British India. And whatever resources were there, whatever little resources were there, uh, they were manipulated by a very small number of people to make a huge amount of money, of course, illegally. And uh, when these black marketeers came into huge sums of money, they, uh, they could not uh, keep their money in banks. And the only place they could invest that they found was the film industry because uh, cinema was not really, uh, even though it was taxed, it was not considered a legal industry. So it was not, um, so it was not regulated in the way that uh, other factories or other um, industries were. So these black marketeers, what they did is they invested money invested raw money into the film industry. They, they uh, hired ad hoc directors and actors. Many of those films did not, did not uh, make money, but what it really did was the, it changed the nature of the uh, film industry. So that uh, film industry, which was based on the infrastructure of film studios, that was completely dismantled because of this raw money flowing in from the black marketeers. What it did is it created this freelancing system of film production, which uh, came to be called a star-centric production. Now, why is that? Because in this new system of freelancing, uh, the, the, there are no studios. The studios are just rental spaces where people just make movies. So the people who got the highest bid were the stars, the actors. The directors could be replaced easily, the story writers could be replaced easily, and it is the stars who kind of sold the films. And so the nature of filmmaking also became different because it is not the director's prerogative. So the, the art, it became different. The science and art of movie making, it became different. It, it, the films became all about the stars. And over time, when India became independent, the post-colonial Indian cinema, it inherited that star-centric system. And when the, when the British Indian Empire ended in 1947, the two nations were born, Pakistan and India. India was the third most film-producing nation in the entire world, you know, as, you know, even as, you know, at, at the moment of its birth. And all the films shown in the, um, in India, in the ex-British Indian Empire, uh, out of that uh, 80% were indigenous production. So it kind of, that 1931 moment of the sound film coming and uh, of the sound film uh, making uh, the Indian languages accessible, you know, through the silver screen to the Indian people. And uh, uh, so moving from there, they, we see the, uh, because India is a country of um, between 15 and 20 official languages, official national languages, which are uh, spoken by uh, people in various linguistic uh, territories. The, we see this enormous growth in the cinemas in different languages. So out of that, uh, Hindi cinema produced in Bombay had a special space uh, because that Hindi cinema produced in Bombay was the cinema that was uh, that had a nationwide distribution. This is the film. Why I speak about Hindi cinema produced in Bombay? Because this is the this is the cinema that came to be known as Bollywood. 
from the late 90s onwards. So what we call Bollywood is not entire Indian cinema, which is produced in, uh, as of right now, uh, more than 50 languages and dialects. But uh, Bollywood actually technically refers to only Hindi films produced in Bombay. And uh, Bollywood became a thing towards the end of the 1990s uh, uh, with the uh, kind of the legalization of India's film industry. And um, in the era of globalization, there was a shift in the popular uh, Hindi filmmaking in Bombay, which embraced sort of a global ethos. We have uh, uh, the sort of a very important moment in 2000-2001 when Bollywood becomes uh, uh, included in the English language, when Oxford English Dictionary uh, includes it in, its, uh, in the new English words. And then in the 21st century, scholars started using uh, the word Bollywood. Previously, it was just used by newspapers and magazines, but in the 21st century, film scholars uh, started using the word Bollywood. So this is the story of Bollywood and its connection with Indian cinema. So we have this industry in, in Mumbai that has this national distribution network. And of course, because of that, it's the primary way that people are seeing how media interprets and portrays the idea of being Indian and, and the Indian nation. And in your recent book, Unruly Cinema, History, Politics and Bollywood, you look at the ways that Bollywood's narratives of nation have interacted with the ones of the government. Could you talk to us about how Bollywood has influenced this idea of the Indian nation through the years? Yes, yes, absolutely. So that is actually one of the most uh, fascinating aspects of popular Indian cinema, that how it has uh, sort of created a mythology of the Indian nation uh, through popular culture. So because India, uh, starting from British Indian uh, Empire and um, India as part of uh, South Asia, it, um, it is a very, very diverse place. It is a very heterogeneous place. You know, people, even if people belong to the same religion and caste, they, have, they speak different languages, they eat different food, they have different values. But uh, what um, uh, Bombay-based Hindi cinema, uh, what it did from the very, very beginning, and this happened in from the late 1930s onwards, uh, that it created a kind of a social ethos that was based on kind of a middle ground bourgeois values. So middle class values and which were, of course, um, kind of uh, made stereotypical. They uh, picked from here and there certain cultural uh, aspects from different places, not just from the Hindi speaking world or from Bombay, but from all over India as to how, what is Indian culture? It kind of created an amalgam called Indian culture. And after these films, they kind of perpetuated this kind of culture um, through the songs, through the films. So it, um, it kind of succeeded in creating a language through uh, which all Indians, because everyone could watch, everyone had access to Hindi cinema produced in Bombay, they could share and they could disagree, but this is something that everyone could share. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, say, even a patriotic song that fe that was featured in a Hindi film in the 1950s, 
there's a chance that more people can sing that song better than they can sing the national anthem. So this is the power. This is sort of the cultural power of uh, Hindi cinema produced in Bombay. So they kind of became the unofficial representatives of the nation. So they were not really considered um, as official representative of the Indian state because Indian state had kind of an antagonistic um, love-hate relationship with popular Indian cinema. But uh, that did not matter. Hindi cinema produced in Bombay, especially the songs, especially this melodramatic form and the songs, they kind of created and perpetuated the myth of Indian nation. So what has been Bollywood's portrayal of the differences between East and West? And how has globalization changed this over time? Okay, so this is, um, this is actually kind of related to that, how, that perpetuation of the myth of the Indian culture and the Indian nation. So of course, as we know, that there is no essential thing called Indian culture and like there is no essential thing called American culture or Pakistani culture or Bangladeshi culture. There is no such thing. And there is no such thing as Eastern or Western values. You know, those are very much cultural constructs. So one of the corollaries of uh, the Hindi cinema produced in Bombay as a popular cultural art form, how they, how they kind of created uh, that amalgam of uh, Indian national culture is that they um, created it based on sort of a post-colonial identity, anti-colonial identity. And because India was colonized by the West, and of course, you know, that kind of framed, that, that political past kind of framed the binary opposition between East and West. So there's a sort of a very defensive argument against the West that Hindi popular cinema always made. So, of course, I mean, India is a poor, struggling nation in the 1950s, 60s, 70s. So there is a pride, there's a national pride, but which is also extremely defensive. Yes, the West has money. The West has, you know, all the airplanes and the technology and uh, and everything, the clean streets and the huge edifices. But uh, they, 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 are, uh, they are immoral, they are amoral, they don't have any spiritual values and so on and so forth. And how would you say that this construction of, of the idea of East versus West has then extended onto the portrayal of Indians that live abroad? So there is this uh, very, very uh, popular, uh, almost unwatchable today. I mean, it's quite horrible, actually, the film. There's this film in 19, uh, that was made in 1970. It is called East and West, you know, Purab, Purab or Pashim, where um, an Indian person whose name is Bharat, which is the Sanskrit name for India, who comes to London and he gives these lectures to these expatriate Indians about what is Indian culture. And all the Indian expatriates who are representative of the West, they are these pathetic caricatures. They have completely imbibed the 
bad Western values, which are and they're completely morally empty. They're 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 morally vacuous and so on and so forth. So 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 and the expatriate Indians who chose to live in that West and chose to embrace those Western values, they were basically traitors. You know, from the from this viewpoint, so that was the stereotype that was perpetuated in many many Indian films, and in these um, in this kind of ethos, it was mainly the women who had the burden of representing Indian culture more. So, for example, in the uh, films in the 1960s and 70s, uh, the men could be seen uh, wearing Western clothes all the time, in, uh, depending on what they did. But it's the women who were traditionally attired. It was only the bad women, bad Westernized women who could be seen in Western attire and so on and so forth. So uh, with Bollywood, after globalization, uh, registered this very significant shift from that stereotype to sort of a more uh, holistic approach to the global population of Indians. Because of course, I mean, that, uh, that, kind, of, um, that kind of Cold War era binary opposition between East and West does not hold anymore in the 1990s. The Cold War has ended and India has embraced uh, globalization. And so therefore it really cannot speak of the West as an enemy because it is embracing the West it needs investment from the West, and it is also also soliciting the return and uh, extensive engagement of the expatriating Indians, you know, who are given this new name, the non-resident Indians. You see, they are not expatriates anymore. They are Indians. They are just non-resident Indians. They don't reside in India, but they are Indians nevertheless. So therefore, in the starting from 1995, we had this very, very famous uh, sort of crop of... Uh, Bollywood films uh, where expatriate Indian families, NRI families, uh, they are the focus of the narratives. They are completely entrenched in Indian culture, even though they stay in San Francisco or London. Uh, most of these early films, they were actually based in um, the UK. And uh, a very uh, important film in this regard is Dilwale Dulhaniya Le Jayenge. Uh, abbreviated as DDLJ, which came out in 1995. So I call that as the coming of Bollywood. So DDLJ is uh, the film that represented the sort of the birth of Bollywood. And uh, even though it was not called a Bollywood film at that time, it is only from the, the historical perspective that we call that as the Bollywood moment. And there, uh, the non-resident Indians uh, who live in UK, they are more Indian in their values than the resident Indians that they meet when they go to India. And so this is kind of the new ethos that is um, perpetuated by this crop of Bollywood films. And so there was this crop of films which came out say between 1995 and 2005. By 2005, it was not even needed to, per to keep perpetuating, uh, to keep kind of reiterating that the non-resident Indians are more Indian than the resident Indians anymore, because that has already been naturalized. And so this is, so this is the, the East versus West uh, binary is completely dissolved. <laughs> So we have these portrayals and through these portrayals, the depiction of sex has often been linked to a Western value system, something that's more immoral. But of course, 
in melodrama, you can't escape from a love story. And with love stories, you have intimacy, which often plays an important part. So how has Bollywood navigated the portrayal of sex without linking themselves to this moral corruption they have ascribed to the West? Okay, so uh, for this, you know, I have to kind of start uh, with um, the pre-Bollywood period. So Indian cinema, even even from the 30s, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, what it developed is, um, as I said, the national cultural mythology of uh, Indian culture was, uh, it was kind of conservative in its portrayal of culture. It was patriarchal and it was women were uh, representatives of Indian culture. So within this system, any kind of sexual will on part of the women, it could be seen as something corrupting or something jarring. And display of sexuality for some strange reason was uh, astute. Even though it was not part of the Cinematograph Act, there was no official ban on uh, characters kissing on screen, but it was eschewed. But uh, most uh, popular Hindi films, at the center of every filmic narrative of this kind, there is a love story. This is kind of the joke among film scholars that what does um, an Indian man and a woman do when they meet? Well, they sing a song. Right. And so it used the song and any dance that went with it, uh, if there is dance, as a stand in for a sexual act. The songs are more often than not, the lyrics of the song are replete with sexual references, uh, ranging from beautiful, poetic to vulgar. And there are uh, dance movements which can be uh, artistically, aesthetically uh, representative of uh, love and sexuality. And so this is the way that Indian cinema, it negotiated. This is the way it kind of danced around uh, sexuality in love stories. So this is so this was obviously sort of a unique thing that Indian cinema did. So, as you mentioned, we had this important moment with DDLJ in 1995 when it really signified this new shift in, in attitudes towards Indians living abroad. I was wondering if you could share with us whether this idea of Indianness has evolved in the last 25 years since the film was released. I'm sure there, there were new influences from even greater globalization in India since then and perhaps changes in the country have also affected that portrayal. Could you share with us how, how the narrative has changed since then? Yes, uh, sure. So, I mean, certainly uh, India and, of course, the world has come a long way since uh, 1995. So, uh, in 1995, India was still, I would say, a struggling economy and it had just opened up to globalization. So, the fact that DDLG had... Uh, uh, DDLG represents this enormous moment, it's because it was sort of the beginning of an era. Now, what we see, of course, that globalization has matured. India opened up to globalization because the Indian economy was going bankrupt and it was ready to become a prosperous uh, global uh, economy. And um, 
that dream was uh, to a certain extent realized in the next couple of decades, I would say, you know, from 1995 to 2005 and to 2015. So India became a global economy. And so what has happened uh, since 1995 is that with the growth of the economy, with the more and more uh, proliferation of globalization, what has happened in India that a new middle class has been created, which is much more, uh, which grew in the era of globalization. So the, the children who grew up in the era of globalization, who uh, grew up in the era of open market and in the, when India's economy was growing, they became, they were much more attuned to global values. And they were, their lives were, uh, because of real political changes, their lives were uh, filled with much more Western or global uh, gadgetry and values and TV programs and films. They had much more access. So in the era of internet and globalization and um, all the changes that that has happened, so uh, it is uh, the global Indian ethos that did that was so unique in DDLJ that is not so unique anymore. That has almost become old. So it is all the uh, all, all the there are a uh, couple of generations of uh, Indian children who have grown up with that global ethos, and so therefore they are used to watching Netflix and Amazon and they're, they're used to watching this uh, uh, global TV shows and what they expect and what they get in Bollywood movies these days is pretty much the global ethos that they represent and they, and they, and they uh, inhabit in, sort of the global space that they inhabit in. So they use, they, they, buy, the, they buy the same fashion brands uh, that uh, uh, middle class children in the in the USA or the UK would wear for instance so as as consumers of media and as consumers of things they uh, they kind of represent a global generation and so bollywood has kind of uh, kind of shifted gears to kind of represent their lives so it is not so necessary anymore to focus on the non resident indian anymore because there is no real difference. There is kind of a global generation of um, expatriates and resident and non-resident people of all nations who kind of inhabit this uh, global space, this middle class. And so Bollywood cinema has uh, adapted to reflect that. There are many recent films produced in Bombay which which are much more... uh, radically feminist and uh, radically uh, the question the question uh, class and caste and the question political power the question the law and order system much more openly than uh, popular hindi cinema ever did and the portrayal of women it, it also has changed uh, significantly so we see so, so much more of a i would not uh, uh, i would not call it so much progressive as neoliberal but uh, it is in its kind of a fine space because it is still a popular cultural art form. I really, uh, but it is, uh, uh, without calling it uh, progressive in a much more serious tone, I would say that Bollywood these days is much more woke. I mean, it definitely, there is definitely, there's a kind of the beginning of a woke culture 
in the Bollywood films these days. Thank you so much, Rini, for such an insightful interview. One thing I've found fascinating throughout this conversation is how important Indian cinema has been for creating an identity of what it means to be Indian and how this has changed over time from India being a colonial subject to the Cold War period where there was this distinction between East and West, and then in the 90s when globalization took full force. And so thank you so much for sharing this story and taking us through this narrative. Thank you so much for listening to the episode and making it this far. We've got many more exciting stories coming up in future episodes and on our Instagram page at seasoned.migrant. If you have any thoughts, any comments or any ideas for future topics, please send us a message. Also, we love feedback, so let us know what you loved and how we could improve. You've been listening to the Seasoned Migrant Podcast. We'll be back next week. Goodbye.